Hello and welcome to From the Newsroom, the weekly podcast of the Holland Sentinel. I am reporter Arpan Lobo and today I'm joined by managing editor Audra Gamble and Audra. We are back once again to talk everything that happened last night at the Democratic debate in Las Vegas, Vegas, excuse me. And we have so much to talk about. Oh, my gracious. So much to talk about. This was a totally different debate from the first eight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Losing track. But uh, anyway, so I think the big thing that we kind of immediately pointed out like two minutes in the debate last night over Gchat was um, Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren, just going right for the throat and really she she spared nobody um but the first and kind of the main target of hers throughout the night was a former new york city mayor mike bloomberg who was on stage for the first time and mike had a rough night and (laughs) to say the least yeah and liz did not do him any favors whatsoever she went right after it immediately you know Calling him out on things like within literally the first two I, the minutes. Fir- the first thing right. she said was, uh, and uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but she said, "We can't, you know, we're we're running against a billionaire." Oh, I'm who- so ready with this full quote. All Are right, you ready, Arvin? <laughs> okay, so this is in response to the very first question from the moderators, which was about um, uh, Bloomberg's stop and frisk policy when he was the mayor of New York City. Um, so Warren's quote was, I would like to talk about who we're running against, a billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. No, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Michael Bloomberg. And then Twitter went wild. It was, <laughs> she, she went full knives out on, on Mike Bloomberg. And that was just the beginning right, right. throughout the evening. And Bloomberg got it from everybody. Yeah, I'd also but, like to, to state that. Um, you know, for those that, that maybe listened, you know, on, on radio or, or didn't happen to catch it, um, Warren's po- uh, lectern was right next to Bloomberg's. And it was so uncomfortable to watch him so desperately try to not make eye contact with her after that moment when they're standing at most three feet from each other. It was, yeah, it was kind of a lot to start out with. And, and she really didn't slow down at any point, you know, from from the beginning after the entire debate. And it wasn't just Bloomberg that she went after. She went after quite a few people on the debate stage. Right. And this was a pivot from Elizabeth Warren, who in previous debates had kind of toned down. There had been criticisms and this might have just been kind of this might just have been a, you know, kind of like underlying sexism. Oh, this, this you know, the, one of the women candidates, she, she's always, you know, going after everybody. Sure. I, don't, I don't like that. But Really, and so she had t- toned it down in her past couple of debates. She had not been as confrontational, but tonight, the gloves or last night, the gloves were off, and she really, I think, reminded people about why they kind of liked Elizabeth Warren in the first place. Right. I saw that response even from from broad, you know, across the spectrum. You had people who had been with Warren from the beginning, but maybe kind of wandered away and saying, "Oh, right, that's the Liz Warren." You know, I that wanted they were to, excited about they were excited you know, months ago. Even, sure. you know, supporters of Senator Bernie Sanders was like, oh, right. Yeah, Liz, <laughs> right. That, that's, you know, that that's Elizabeth Warren. You know, yeah. it was it was kind of like a return to, you know, triumph for her. And it was almost unanimous. I thought the reaction that she had the best night. Oh, absolutely. Or at the very worst, the second best night. Sure. There, there wasn't, uh, I think, any, you know, dispute about that. Yeah. And, and you know, she definitely um, wasn't the only person that went after the new guy on the stage, for sure. You know, this is the first debate out of the nine that we've had that Michael Bloomberg um, qualified for because of, you know, a, a increase in his poll numbers as, as well as... Um, they know, changed the, the rules right. so he could qualify. Um, and, you know, you and I were talking yesterday morning before the debate even, you know, took place that um, there has been a lot of 
frustration, I think, from some in the Democratic Party that say, well, you know, Mike Bloomberg is just kind of to trying to buy his way into this election. He's not being challenged by, you know, anybody in the primary process on what his policies are and what they have been in the past. Um, he's just kind of skating on through and just throwing money at everything that he sees. And, you know, there's a really big difference between how you appear in a highly edited ad of a speech that you gave in a controlled environment that, you know, has wonderful, majestic music playing in the background and you're shaking hands with Barack Obama. That's a very different image that he, you know, can control via his own funding versus how he reacted on live television with questions from reporters and other candidates. And that was something that, um, you know, people that that particularly were backing, you know, another candidate in the Democratic um, primary we're angry at that that Bloomberg wasn't facing that sort of vetting vetting right that the other candidates have been doing for months you know you you think of the primary processes yes it's kind of this long slog you're going through all of these um, uh, you know states and and races and you know kind of winnowing people out but there also is a legitimate argument saying that these debates and you know having to to have you know, policy really tightened up and and having those talking points is something that creates a stronger candidate going into a general election race. And not having that that vetting happen earlier on um, has been a point of frustration for those that have a lot of questions about Mike Bloomberg. And you definitely saw those questions being asked last night, Uh, not only from Elizabeth Warren, not only from the moderators. Pete Buttigieg had a really uh, punchy moment against Bloomberg pretty early on, too, where he said, that that Bloomberg wasn't actually a Democrat, <laughs> um, which he he has run for you know for multiple parties in the past when he um, was was mayor of New York and and it seemed very much so that the candidates were kind of clinging onto that idea of well we've had to answer all of these questions for the last however many months now it's now it's Mike's turn uh, and I think we saw that play out throughout the night. Right. And it was something, as we can kind of pivot from the Warren discussion to Bloomberg, it was something that where he, it looked as if he almost unprepared. I yeah. think that was kind of the vibe I got from him. There was Elizabeth Warren's immediate attack, not attack, but immediately, you know, she pointed out, sure. hey, you know, what, you said these things. There was Mayor Pete kind of going after him for his past record. There was the discussion about stop and frisk, mm-hmm. which is really becoming, you know, this black cloud hanging over him, this extremely unpopular uh, policy that targeted people of color uh, discriminately uh, by the New York Police Department while uh, Bloomberg was mayor of New York. Sure. It was, you know, very unpopular at the time. There were found to be human rights violations it's and it's hanging over him now he came out and he said oh i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry but i inherited it i wasn't the one that started it but it it just seemed like but he also you know in that moment he said i've apologized for it which is not the greatest look to and and, you know it's like he is apologizing for getting caught not that he's apologizing for um impacting these people's lives i think it was bernie sanders that said you know you you ruined the lives of these people like well and that was something that that Elizabeth Warren pointed out. It was another one of her, you know, kind of prime moments between her and Bloomberg where she said, you've apologized for the result of what has happened because of, you know, this policy you enacted. But I have yet to see you apologize for the, you know, rationale behind you enacting this policy in the first place. You knew what this would do. You knew, you know, the the ramifications of what you were asking police to do. And you have yet to apologize for the 
the idea behind it in the first place, not just, you know, how it played out after the fact. Right. And it, it's just something where he he didn't seem like, you know, he was properly prepared for this I mean, ev- everyone knew that that was going to be the right, very first right. question of the night. And to not have a really well-rehearsed answer that landed really well, <laughs> um, I think is is a, a, a kind of a tell, not only of perhaps, you know, a, a lack of preparation or, or willingness to prepare, but also a debate is a very specific skill set. <laughs> um, you know, we've had politicians in the past that just aren't fabulous debaters and some that seem to be a fabulous, fabulous debater and then perhaps Perhaps their policies didn't necessarily match up. I mean, it's a very, a very specific thing. And it takes a while to sort of settle into how that works for you, making sure that you've got your, you know, 45 second answer ready to go. And you're not, uh, you know, hemming and hawing and doing that thing where you're frustrated about the time and, you know, the the kind of constraints of it. And after, you know, the, the other candidates on the stage have had eight already to settle into it, it was very clear um, that Bloomberg had not at all settled into what that format was going to be. Right, right. It was something where you could definitely tell it was his first debate. Right. You know, he was not as seasoned as, the, as sure, these other guys. Right. Who, not so polished. At, at the very yeah. least, have been running for a year. You know, mm-hmm. some some of these other people are on their second run. Some of them are right. on their third run. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's it, it showed. Uh, let's talk about the the discussion over the non disclosure agreements. Also, another very spicy moment, and it involved Mike Bloomberg of old people. Um, <laughs> so once again, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, is is uh, kind of or no? This was a moderator prompted. It was a moderated prompter prompted question, but then Elizabeth Warren kind of tacked on at the end right. and asked some additional pointed questions. Right. And so the Michael Bloomberg, who r- runs his you know media, right, Bloomberg News, Bloomberg right? News, it's, it's Bloomberg like a company. Finance, it's sort of well known. That's how he's made his uh, vast amount of money. Sure. Um, and in his time at the head of that company. Several non-disclosure agreements have been filed um, with particularly women employees, and um, Bloomberg was asked about that. Why? Why are you not letting these women speak? And he fumbled this answer oh, so badly. So he so he starts off by saying, "Was like, oh, you know, I I didn't do anything. They I'm other than maybe I told a joke that they didn't like." Yeah, First that was a all, really bad line. Like, <laughs> come on, man. Own yeah, it. I'd also and like to clarify too that. Um, uh, a female moderator asked the question, and um, his initial response was, well, are you going to give me the full minute, 45 seconds to answer this? Yeah, he, Which was not like a great start, you know, to, to come off at. And then he says, um, you know, well, I have a woman that runs my foundation, and I give it, women it was, a lot of responsibility. It was, it was very, you know, wi- wish-washy. Right. And, and then, then uh, that, that line that, uh, you know, so, so Warren pushes back, and she says, well, you know, why don't, you on television right now say that if any of these women that have signed, um, you know, NDAs want to come forward, you're fine with them coming forward and, and release them from it now. And he just tanked. This this line where he was like, we made those agreements consensually. Yeah. It was, I was oof, like, uh, I gagged a little like this. is. I'm just like, this is not a good showing for my guy, Mike. Yeah. Well, like, and, and uh, you know. Because I know that we we podcast about this, I'm always kind of taking some notes, you know, throughout the debate. And I'm looking at them right now. And I wrote down, he says, quote, a few women didn't like a joke I told. And then my notes next to it in all caps are big oof, Mike. (laughs) I mean, it's it's just like, man, you have to know how that line is going to land if you ever at any point ran that phrasing past someone had to anyone, you know, that seemed like an off the cuff answer because there's no way he ran that by anybody. Right. Which, again... 
you have to have known that that question was coming true. Right. You had to have right. a stellar answer, and it you're, just you're spending was... all these millions on staffers. Somebody's got to be able to, you know, get you ready for these things. Right. And it continued throughout the night. Like I feel like we're not even halfway through the, no. you know, the very bad <laughs> night for Mike Bloomberg. There was the question about his taxes, mm-hmm. and to which he came off as so condescending. Oh my god! And I, you know, personally felt affronted, which is, you know, most of these times, like through these debates, I'm just kind of, you know, in this, like, oh, let me You're let like me a react. Third party to observer, yeah. right? But last night he's talking about. So the question comes up, and this has been controversial with our current president, uh, sure. President Trump, uh, about the release of tax returns, and President Trump hasn't done it yet, but. All the other Democratic candidates have done it, with the exception of Mike Bloomberg. And Bloomberg's response last night was like, "Well, I am so rich, I have so much money that it, it you would bro- just yeah, it you would just broke take boys me a can't understand this. Yeah. Like, oh my god, it would take me a long time. We're in the process. I'm trying to get it done. It's yeah, like, he hello. Says, <laughs> like his quote was, "It just takes a long time. We're talking thousands of pages. I can't just go to TurboTax. And, th- this- and there was this collective." <gasps> From the audience, it was like, oh man, it was yeah. It I was, was watching that at home, and this isn't a joke. I was on TurboTax <laughs> yesterday. You know, I'm You're not, clearly not in the same tax I, bracket I was just there. Yeah. Like, wow, Mike, way to have my back. Jeez, like yeah, and well, and then I later, don't know. yeah, later on in the debate, there's this very uncomfortable exchange with. Um, Bloomberg and Bernie Sanders about how many homes they oh, owned, which was also which also did not Bloomberg l- flat out lied. Right? You know. he, doesn't so, he have something like eleven? He homes? has eleven homes. Yeah. The, the the question was so uh, Bernie Sanders owns three homes. Sure. He has his home in Vermont, a home in Washington, and then he has a uh, kind of like a cottage type. Yeah, thing. like a, he said it was like a campground yeah, situation. It, I've seen yeah. photos of the house. It's a shack. It's sure. not like you know these mansions. Mike Bloomberg owns eleven homes. Sure. The ones which I've seen are extravagant and probably well beyond the price range of what Bernie well, Sanders has. <laughs> and then, you know, it, it was a little while later in the debate that Pete Buttigieg goes, well, from the porch of my one home, I can tell you. And it just, um, you know, it really showed the the shift in the dynamic of the debate conversation when you add Mike, Mike Bloomberg into the mix. Because right. we've had Tom Steyer, who, who also is He's incredibly wealthy, on these debate stages before, but he certainly doesn't tout his wealth in that way as if it is a... He doesn't flaunt it qualifying factor right. to get him into the White House. The the conversation, you know, from those two individuals are vastly different. And even though Tom Steyer did not qualify for the Las Vegas debate, debate and was not on the stage, um, you could even just sort of pick up on, you know, tone differences. And, you know, Tom Steyer often will have these moments where he says, like, you know, everybody has to remember who the true enemy is here. And let's talk about climate change. And here's all the initiatives I've done. And Mike Bloomberg was just kind of, you know, incredibly um, over the top eye rolls to other candidates responses. And, um, you know, there were a couple of moments where, you know, his face kind of got a little red when he was answering, Mm -hmm. you know, some of these, these sticky questions. And um, yeah, just the, the difference between those two billionaires was so clear last night, even though one wasn't even on the stage. Right. And and uh, if we can continue on the on the Bloomberg kind of versus Bernie Sanders discussion. So Bernie has gone on record by saying he's like, oh, there shouldn't be any billionaires. We mm-hmm. need to tax them down. So they need to pay their, pay their fair share. And uh, Bloomberg took a front to this. You know, um, he just kept going at it. At, edit with Bernie and at one point he called Bernie a communist in which Bernie said yes this is a cheap shot but that really what it stood out to me is like okay this is a this is your party you're on the democratic stage right now all right there are Bernie's won the first two states or at least a popular vote in the first two states he's doing well 
he's leading in most national polls and he's leading in a lot of statewide polls. If you were going to call him a communist when he has this amount of support, what does that say to his supporters? If that, like, are you, they're going to remember this if and when they have to vote for you in a general election. It just didn't seem like a front, uh, a smart move from Bloomberg. Also, Bernie called it a cheap shot. And then he, he explained what he advocated for. And he explained, you know, no, we already do socialism. We just do socialism for the rich. We don't do socialism for the poor. It was something where Bloomberg came off again, very condescending. Yeah, well, I I do you you know want to note that for the most part, um, Bernie Sanders came out of the debate last night fairly unscathed. Um, you know, he he is in the top two candidates right now in terms of delegate count and in terms of you know ongoing polls. He really didn't get very many attacks, though, I think because a lot of the other candidates were so focused on kind of getting Bloomberg out of there. Right. Um, you know, there were some political pundits that basically said, you know, Bernie is the one that won this debate, not Elizabeth Warren, because no damage was done to his right. steady support. Um, you know, I'm not entirely sure whether the the importance right now when we're so close to Super Tuesday should be for gathering momentum or for staying stagnant when that stagnant level is at the top. I mean, there's, you know, something to be said for, for maintaining success. Um, but it was interesting to see kind of those dynamics um, shift from candidate to candidate where we've seen, you know, perhaps more confrontation between, you know, Senator Sanders and Joe Biden that we may not have seen as much of last night because the shift, um, the focus had shifted. But we did see some very heated confrontations between two of the more moderate candidates on the stage, um, Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar, which yes. I I mean, they were kind of like breathtaking in that you were I couldn't believe so, it like, was happening. You had like so much secondhand uncomfortability watching. I mean I enjoyed it. But <laughs> it it was it was something to see. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we wanted to talk a little bit, you know, about the, the topics of those kind of flare ups, but there were um, a couple of, you know, interesting exchanges, particularly when they were talking about um, Senator Klobuchar's voting record and on things about immigration rights. And, you know, Mayor Pete really kind of dug his heels into that concept that he's continued to talk about of, well, you know, tenure may not necessarily be the best measure of success. It's more about judgment. And I question your judgment, Senator Klobuchar. And it right. kind of snowballed from there. So there there was an interesting question from the moderator, which kind of sparked this entire sure. uh, bust up. So I, uh, Amy Klobuchar was doing an event last week, and she forgot the name of the Mexican uh, president. President Lopez Obrador Amlo is his, is his nickname. And she forgot it at the event. And I didn't know about it until yesterday. No, I hadn't heard either. Yesterday right. when the moderator said, oh, if you forgot this guy's name, like, how can you be president? Right, and I was right. like, oh, and, that's that's a weird question. I mean, it was a gaffe. Yeah, gaffe. Sure. But, you know, it, it's not like, you know, exactly, you know, it shouldn't be the death knell for a campaign. But this became a long-standing talking point. It really did, point. yeah. And Pete Buttigieg held on to this. Well, yeah, and, you know, Senator Klobuchar kind of said, listen, I, I messed up. I forgot his name. You know, it's it's not the end of the world. It was, I, I didn't you know, whatever. Think... Um, but she kind of, um, she was like, yeah, I messed up. But, you know, it's good to have someone that admits that they have messed up and can be humble. And then Mayor Pete just sort of like talents out. Yeah. Like... And he goes, well, you know, everyone makes mistakes and I agree with you, but... 
you know, you're you're on these committees these that committees, deal with you've, the you've, trade. You've interacted with these people before and you've, you know, had to work on the the trade agreements with Mexico and they're such an important partner. And then this like huge squabble kind of broke out among a lot of the candidates just trying to vie for, you know, some some speaking time. And the moderators couldn't rein it no, in Lester, at all. Lester Holt got ran over. Yeah, it was it was rough. It and had then, to be Elizabeth Warren. And Elizabeth Warren goes, hey, <laughs> everybody forgets a name every so often. That's not what we should be talking about. We should be talking about, you know, the policies that are actually important here. And, it, um, you know, we've talked a couple of times before about um, Amy Klobuchar kind of being able to be the one that comes in and, and be the adult in the room to kind of simmer these squabbles down. Um but she was in the middle of them last mm-hmm. night, and, and Warren really took that role of being able to, to get everybody back in line, even when the moderators could not. You were reminded that Elizabeth Warren used to be a teacher. Yeah. And <laughs> yes, very much probably so. Probably not the first time she had to deal with this squabble. But between, between Klobuchar and, and Mayor Pete, and, um, you know, I, I, I can just say I, I thought Amy had a Senator Klobuchar had a bad yeah it was a rough night it was a poor performance you know I I was joking with you you know in the last podcast debate we talked about Klobentum because she did which is still a phrase I hate a whole lot (laughs) Klobentum might have met its end last night you know this this debate you know she could easily bounce back for this debate but she's not polling relatively well in Nevada and uh, it it, certainly isn't the narrative that her campaign needed heading into Um, Super Tuesday and these squabbles with Mayor Pete you know he so Mayor Pete Buttigieg starts talking about like oh you're on these uh committees and you're in the senate you should be able to know the name of the leader of our largest trade partner sure and then (laughs) amy klobuchar just goes like excuse me are you calling me dumb mayor pete and i was like whoa like all right zero to 100 let's go you know and they, they just kept going at each other and then after mayor pete you know kind of continued to say like you should you you know it's a mistake fine but you should know this and then amy klobuchar said well we all can't be as perfect as you pete and i was like wow this isn't you know because we joke about okay yeah you know it's politics they got to show a little you know that you know a little grit every now and then and kind of make (laughs) make jabs at every uh, every now and then but for the most part these people are colleagues they've worked together and they're Friends. That's right. fair to say. Sure. I do not get that vibe no. at all. Nobody knows. This felt like yeah. actual animosity. I saw a tweet that said, you know, it's like, I don't think Amy Klobuchar will ever be president. But if she is, her first executive order will be to raise South Bend to the ground. <laughs> out of out spite. Of, out of spite. And yeah. I was like, yep, that, that yeah, seems well, Yeah, apt. and, you know, she had that moment where she's like, you know, are, are you calling me dumb? And, and then later on in that, um, you know, response, she goes, You've memorized a bunch of talking points, but I've been in the arena. And there was this, like, collective, ooh, you know, coming from the audience. It was a very responsive audience, which certainly did More calm things down. That's for sure. Um, and it was... It was Vegas. It Well, yeah. <laughs> we put on a show, right. Um, but, yeah, it was, um, like, those moments kind of combined with those moments of, of Senator Warren and, and Mike Bloomberg made for a very exciting night. Um, and it was... You know, kind of that, you know, spicy television drama that that some people have said, you know, have been lacking in in previous debates. I will say, though, that the trade off for those moments is that I don't necessarily think that there were a lot of 
new policy ideas that were explored in the debate, with the exception of a little additional information about um, the candidates' climate change uh, policies and their specific views on fracking. That was the only like Th- that was yeah you're right that was that did lead to some revealing discussion though sure. for example like Amy Klobuchar doesn't want to get rid of fracking right away she's saying this is still you know reliable for a group of people we need to you know wrap this down slightly which is opposed to Senator Sanders and Senator Warren who are like nope get rid yeah, of it shut that down and it's right. you know on the opposite side we had Mike Bloomberg being like you know what fracking's great yeah. like you know he was which, like well hang on let's consider you know, this yeah. it. it the the um, comment I kept seeing was like Mike Bloomberg ran in the wrong primary. Mm. <laughs> you know, this uh, it, it was something where he just seemed out of place, yeah. and that well, discussion was I, you know yeah, pretty good. I will say I'm gonna I'm going to throw my family under the bus very briefly here. That's fair. <laughs> Sorry, family, but um, you know my my parents are um, you know in their sixties and. I was talking to them, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and I said, well, you know, Michigan primary is coming up. Are you guys, you know, going to head to the polls, whatever? And my, my, my dad goes, yeah, I'm voting for Mike Bloomberg. And I said, okay, well, you know, tell me about why you think that way. And, you know, I was trying to have a conversation. He goes, because he's a Republican. And I said, wait, what? <laughs> because he remembers him as, you know, the mayor of New York who ran as, you know, on the Republican ticket. And I said, it's an interesting perspective of, you know, where the the, the Democratic race is right now that, um, you know, my dad, who watches local news, I can't say he's, you know, a frequent tuner into to a lot of national news programs, was unclear of, of which party Mike Bloomberg was was running in, um, you know, this, this soon to when people are heading to the polls. And he sees a ton of his ads, but didn't necessarily know anything about his actual campaign. Right. You know, I actually got that same kind of vibe from my dad who was talking about, you know, he's like, you know, my my dad was telling me, he goes like, well, I think Mike is the only one with a shot to beat Trump. And then, but at the same time, you have Trump going on Twitter. He's like, no, mini, he calls him mini Mike because Mike Bloomberg's only 5'8", short kings. It's all right. You know. (laughs) Did you just call yourself a short king? (laughs) I am 5'11", okay? Six feet tall on a good day. Oh, dear. (laughs) I was talking... To you know, our our friends who don't who, okay. who aren't exactly blessed with height. It's all I right. See. All right. Don't feel bad about yourself, guys. <laughs> but anyway, Trump calls him Mini Mike. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> and um, I remember because so Mike Bloomberg tweets. He's like, "Oh, Trump wants Bernie to win so he can beat him in the general." And then Trump just directly quotes and he goes, "No, Mini Mike, I would much rather run against you." Oh and dear. I was like, yeah. Jeez, like so it kind of I don't know maybe, but this at the same time when Mike Bloomberg is such a polar opposite to not even just you know Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, but when he's coming off drastically different than Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg. You know, how is he going to rally the entire Democratic right. Party? What, what bracket does right. he fit in in terms of right. what, what his niche electorate is, is? Yeah, like he, he was talking, you know, he, he has the good talking points, but it doesn't seem like there's a, any substantive policy um, there. One last thing I think we should talk about is the question focused on the Democratic National Convention, yes. which is upcoming this summer. And the question was posed to each of the candidates should there not be a um, clear uh, nominee after the first round of voting? So just to, to back up a little bit, in order to clinch the Democratic nomination, you need to have 1,991 
out of 3,700 and or 3,879 delegates. So a little a little bit more than half. Um, and this is this is at the Democratic National Convention, which will be in Milwaukee. Right this this summer, and uh, the way you get those delegates is you win the states. Right, you, you know it's, it's that's been, why we have all of these primaries. Right, right, right. It's it's that's the system. Um, but since you need fifty percent, because we have such a crowded field, it might get to a point where after the first round, when everybody counts up their delegates, we might not have right a clear cut fifty percent. And so the candidates were asked if that happens. Do you think that the party should just support whoever got the most votes? And everybody, with the exception of Bernie Sanders, said no. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought this was a really interesting question, but I don't necessarily know that um, the average debate watcher or particularly someone that is just kind of now tuning in to the to the circus because they're going to have to go to the polls soon really understood um, the ramifications of this question. So to clarify like what the process is, because this is a pretty unusual thing, um, there are delegates that people receive throughout the primary and caucus process. Those delegates are bound to support whatever candidate they've, you know, been sent there for. Um, when every all of these delegates get together in this big room and they all wear, you know, buttons and hats and they have signs from the states that they're from and it's, um, you know, televised and they all say, you know, from the great state of Michigan, the the state of the Great Lakes and Cherries and whatever, we give are however many delegates to Senator whoever. And it's this, you know, big kind of raucous thing. Um, but if no candidate gets to that over 50% number of delegates, there's going to be another ballot, another time where all of these delegates have to get in this room and, and say who they're going to support until one candidate has over 50%. However, um, there are super delegates that get involved in that mix on the second and and further ballots that are not necessarily there that first time around. Um, so, you know, Senator Bernie Sanders says, I don't want those super delegates in that mix. I think that after that first ballot, all of the delegates that were sent there by the voters, we should take whoever has the most <laughs> after that point, and they should be the nominee rather than going through all of these additional ballots. Now, to be fair, he is saying that because it probably would serve him well to do that. He has won the popular vote in the first two states. Right. Um, so, you know, I think that that was a really interesting question to ask the candidates. I just wish that the reasoning behind that question was a little better explained in the moment, because I think it is a really big question to ask these candidates. I think it, it's kind of pe peeling the curtain back and right. showing the average voter like, hey, you know, it isn't just, you know, cut and paste like, oh, seven beats six. No, it's, you know, it's a process. Actually, seven <laughs> equals four. And six also equals four because we only have eight to give away. It, right. It's so very, now we're going to do it again. It's very, right. you know, complicated. I think, you know, it might be that the question is a very open-ended uh, and they were cutting to commercials. So they didn't right, exactly yeah. get open-ended <laughs> answers. But it, there's a variety of scenarios where maybe candidates don't mean 50 percent. Sure. If one candidate has 48 percent of the delegates and the next closest guy is at 20 it might, you know, that be, would be a different. It dynamic. would be different than right. if someone has twenty six and someone has twenty five. Right. That's yeah, and and you know, if that were to happen, um, where things are are pretty close to each other, that's when you may see um, some candidates saying, you know what, for the good of the party, I'm going to have my delegates throw their support behind candidate X that I agree with most. Um, so it will be interesting to see as we get to the Democratic convention this summer 
how many people are still left in the race? How many people have dropped out, you know, from funding or, or lack of good news in the polls? And how many will stick around to have more say into where their delegates go should we get to a second or third or fourth ballot? Right. It's something that will definitely be a focal point of discussion as we get closer. Absolutely. Well, Audra, now that we're done with nine of these, <laughs> uh, what now that we have Nevada caucuses are on Saturday, but right. they're a bit different than the Iowa caucus. Right. You can vote early in Nevada. It's a bit different. Also, the caucus is on a Saturday, so it's a bit easier to plan around it. Sure. Um, and then, and then in, we move on to South Carolina. Then we move on to South Carolina. And then we have Super Tuesday, Super which Tuesday. could be could be the um, kind of you know decider that you right. could, a lot will clear up after Super Tuesday. And I want to point out that on the last podcast, I incorrectly said that Michigan was a Super Tuesday state. It's not. Our pan was just hoping and dreaming. I, you know, I, I love I love the state of Michigan, you know, despite all its faults. I am a proud Michigander, and I just wanted to, you know, us to feel important. But Super Tuesday is Tuesday, March 3rd, and Michigan, well, our primary is on Tuesday, March 10th, yeah, which so is we're not a week Super later, Tuesday. Right. But you should still go. It's yeah. so important. Um, but anyway, uh, we, yeah, we have so, some time between now and the next debate. So what are the things we should really look for as we kind of – get into the thick of things now yeah. that our early states are kind of getting out of the way. You know, we talked in the last podcast about how important Nevada and South Carolina are going to be to see how people of color vote. Um, you know, Iowa and New Hampshire are first, and there's a lot of you know reason behind that, and some of it is disputed, but um, Nevada has a large Latino population, and South Carolina has a large African-American population. It's going to be very important, especially for those candidates that are kind of hovering in that middle zone, um, to see how those populations populations are going to react to them when they go to the polls. That could be a very make or break moment for those that are sort of hovering, that their funding is sort of not so great at the moment. Um, Moving forward to Super Tuesday, that is going to be a really big deciding factor um, in terms of additional fundraising and results, especially after, you know, we had such a wonky start with kind of no real results in Iowa. Um, Still. Right. <laughs> oh, my gracious. Um, so this is going to be, you know, a really important moment. And moment, um, I would say particularly for Mayor Pete Buttigieg and Senator Amy Klobuchar. Right. And those are the two candidates who are struggling with right. voters of color. Exactly. Um, you know, despite strong starts in the, in the early sure. states, the white or voting states with right. a greater, you know, white white voter population. It, it'll be interesting. From the polls I've looked at recently, uh, Bernie Sanders has a pretty substantial, uh, you know, advantage when it comes to Latino voters. So that right. might suit him well in Nevada. Joe Biden is still the still doing well still in South the front Carolina. runner right. with um, with uh, African American voters. Black right. voters will make up sixty percent of the of the primary voters in South Carolina. Um, however, that margin has collapsed a little right. bit. He's got some competitors. You know, right. I think Bernie Sanders is creeping up to that margin of error, and again. Polls aren't always a refle- uh, an accurate reflection, but they do tell a good story kind of going into it. So it'll be interesting to see because yeah. these next two primaries could be the decider of whether anybody has a shot going into Super Tuesday. Yeah, I, I will note, um, you know, there's been a lot of um, conversation about Pete Buttigieg's uh, numbers with, with voters of color and how incredibly low they are. There's this moment um, where at the very end of, of a response that he had at the debate last night, he slipped into a little bit of Spanish. Um, I don't necessarily know <laughs> how well that plays I to voters of color. There um, is a term called spandering, where you use Spanish as a pandering um, tactic to voters who may also speak Spanish. Uh, 
I just, you know, we we saw this earlier on where where Beto O'Rourke, Beto O'Rourke would get this kind Corey of flack, Booker, and yeah, yeah and and they would you know throw in some words and phrases, and it just, I just don't think that's like the way to bridge that gap. No, I, I agree with you. I think this is a, that that is a very good point, and especially you know, I, I say this as a voter of color. I am I am not Hispanic, but um, it does seem like if you know, it is very cool that you can speak multiple. Yeah, languages, good for you. But I necessarily don't you know that doesn't say much about your policy sure. and if your policy doesn't uh you know back up that spanish <laughs> with voters of color sure. you being able to speak another language it's kind of of minimal either. importance right it's, yeah. it's not that's not first on the pecking order absolutely um okay so i wanted to mention too um when we were talking about numbers of delegates you know we keep talking about how excited we are about super tuesday as the incredibly political nerds that we are <laughs> um it, it's so important because there's so many delegates at play here so you know we talked about um you need a little over 1900 delegates to win the nomination at the convention in milwaukee just on super tuesday which again is march 3rd there's 1357 delegates up for grabs so that's that's the big push that's why everybody's talking about it so much and, and that momentum going into it and we will have um, another debate before super tuesday the 10th debate we're now in double digits fam um, is going to be on February 25th, and it's hosted by CBS News, BET Twitter, and Congressional Black Caucus Institute. So, um, you know, I think that we'll kind of get into some of those questions about, um, you know, the policies that are particularly important to voters of color. And at that point, we will have results from some of these um, more diverse states. So that'll be interesting to see, you know, how that, that influences the questions that are asked and the candidates' responses to them. I think that's a very good point. And with that, I think we'll head out for the last time before the Nevada yeah. caucuses. Everybody make sure that you are registered to vote because Michigan's primary is March 10th. So make sure you head over to your clerk's office. Correct. All right. And on that note, for Audra Gamble, I am Arpan Lobo. And this has been another episode of From the Newsroom with the Holland Sentinel. We'll catch you guys next time.